just draw me a picture. All the things I want to buy you are things that I don't think you want. It's things I think Don't waste you your time have. then. <laughs> you know, like things I think you should have. I got a big Gatorade. What flavor? Glacier Freeze. Mmm. Yeah. Is that the light blue one? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, it's good. I remember when they came out with them when I was a kid, and they had the three different flavors of them, and I went for Glacier Freeze. I just knew. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I was like, I know that that's going to taste sort of blue. Yeah, I get that. I and also it's going like to be the, really good. What's the purple one, too? They have like a purple freeze. Riptide one. Rush. <laughs> <laughs> that was the other one. I was like, that one might be good, too, because it's purple. Those are my two faves, I think. I can't remember what the third Gatorade is. I can't remember the last time I had Gatorade TBH, but it's good. Today's episode is brought to you by Gatorade Frost. And Riptide Rush. it's cold in the north. <laughs> We're spending two of our chapters this winter evening in the ghastly, frigid north of Westeros. I feel like it's fitting. I feel like the, the scenery... As unpleasant as it sounds, is fitting for this December, beginning of winter. I think so. I want to say hello to all of you that I met in November at the Fire and Blood launch with George R. R. Martin in Jersey City. It was a freaking blast. And I got to meet some really cool people and see some people that I really like. So it looked so much fun. I was so bummed to miss it. Yeah, we were bummed that you weren't there. Did you befriend George R. R. Martin? I did not befriend George R. R. Martin directly, but it was the first time that I've been in the room with him, and I was just blown away by how smart that guy is. Oh, yes. And I know that that's an obvious thing that we probably shouldn't be starting out this podcast with. I think this is episode 409. That sort of thing is probably a given, but I think it's different when you're in a room with someone and you can see how their mind works and understand how they flow with their language and just sort of picking up on his overall vibe i really liked it but mm-hmm. he was a cool person mm-hmm. that's awesome i'm excited yeah. for you because there's just something about being in the room room with him he just has this vibe i don't know i'm sure a lot of you have that are listening have been to events of his or readings of his or seen him at conventions but i just love it when he goes off onto all of his crazy convention stories and just kind of starts talking like we would talk with our friends you know like mm-hmm. you really feel like a connection to him i feel like when you're able to which again cliche but when you're i've met like lots of other authors or i've been in rooms with lots of lots of other authors that are very intimidating and i feel like not that george r, r. martin is not intimidating but i feel like when i've seen him in person he just seems really down to earth you know i think so too you were saying that you didn't think you'd feel that way about jk rowling Oh, I was ter- I'm terrified of J.K. Rowling. <laughs> terrified of J.K. Rowling. What would you say is the main difference between being in a room with her versus George R. R. Martin? Because J.K. Rowling looks like she's going to murder you with her eyes. Oh, geez. And George R. R. Martin is just down to hang. He's like, let's get ice cream because like, ice cream is good. Yeah, like George R. R. Martin, like Brandon Sanderson is an author that I've also probably like the only other author I've been like really excited to meet. I feel like both those guys kind of grew up in our same world where J.K. Rowling, con life is not her world. And so it's a different, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't make any sense. But you were there. You know exactly what I'm saying. So Mm -hmm. I'm glad you had that experience because that's really cool. It was so cool to be in such an opulent theater and for it to be so close to where he grew up in Bayonne. He said that he, I forget which film he said he saw there. 
but uh, it's a movie theater that he went to on the weekends when they decided, you know, it's time to go see a really cool show when he was a kid and they were growing up. And he was describing living uh, on the outskirts. I guess the, you would call that New York City, describing living in New York City at the time. And it was I really felt like I was there. I kind of felt like he was it was like a paragraph of one of his books. And mm-hmm. he was just he was he was bringing up the the romance and the warmth in the room just to let us know sort of casually, like how important it was for him to be doing an event like this there. And I felt a lot more grateful to be involved because of it, because the way that he described it. Yeah. That's super special. It's like being in his streets. Mm -hmm. Did you learn anything interesting? Hmm. I mean, so this is the fire and blood. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I feel like I learned a lot of things about uh, myself, about, (laughs) no, (laughs) Uh, I learned that a hundred chicken nuggets can disappear very quickly around people <laughs> reading books. When the whole squad's there. Mm-hmm. Well, good. I'm glad you had a chance to go. That's so awesome. I know that we're excited to be back to the podcast today. We have two rather important chapters. And I think, like Hannah said, it's fitting to be introducing these elements as harsh and frigid as they are as we're leading the podcast into the holiday season. The turn cloak. Two named chapters. The King's Prize. They're in chronological order in A Dance of Dragons, the 41st and the 42nd chapter of the book. We're that far through A Dance of Dragons and we're nearing, I think we're around 70 to 75% through with A Feast for Dragons overall. Yeah, because we're almost done with A Feast for Crows. Mm -hmm. We're getting close to the stretch where it's only chapters from this book. Yeah, so get ready for lots of... It's almost like they were written that way, jokes that we make every time we do chapters that are back to back. Never gets old. What did you think about this? I really liked both of these chapters a lot. I felt like both of these chapters were super atmospheric. I just really got into the vibe and I really got into Theon's coming back to himself and Stannis's plight and... The fact that we're really racing towards this huge battle that will eventually happen at Winterfell that I think is one of those moments in Winds of Winter that would top a lot of people's lists and thing in terms of things that they're excited about. And so it's uh I don't know. I just I really, really enjoyed both these chapters. I did too. I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with these guys. I'm thinking about how violent the tilt was when Asha was being overtaken at Deepwood Mott when all this was beginning and about all of her ideas about how her life would be and dealing with the the loss of her father and of course stuff that had been going on with Theon for books but then Euron comes in and everything Mm -hmm. changes Mm -hmm. and we're learning a lot more about her personal life and then now we're seeing her nearly die. And now all of a sudden she's in, almost in the same boat as Theon. And both of these parties are using these Greyjoy captives as some kind of decoration, some kind of tool, some kind of way to get what they want. And like you said, I'm really looking forward to what the more complicated version of that will be in A Winds of Winter when they eventually fight each other. I don't know if you've seen... This drawing that Jeff made 
of the Crofters Village. I found it on the internet just oh. looking, looking around for stuff. And it was Send like, it to me. Hey, here's this drawing by Brendan B. Fish. And I was like, oh, my God, let me take a look at it. I'm gonna I think it he, it he sent wall. me this before. Yeah, I know. I think I'm going to put it on my refrigerator with a magnet. <laughs> look at this. Oh, nice. We'll have to put this on our Twitter. So this is where it's all going to go down. Man. There's brand situated perfectly in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, hmm. Right in the middle of the action. Yeah, I got to hand it to Jeff, our friend, Jeff Brendan Beefish from Not A Cast and All Of Our Hearts and Souls. This is a uh, a well-struck and well-thought-out drawing diagram. We'll put it on Twitter and put it in the show notes. There's shadows. It depicts the two <laughs> lakes, the watchtower, the village huts, and the long hall of the Crofters Village where we eventually reach at the end it's of cool the chapter. It's cool to see both the plight of theon on the inside as he thinks about how there's not a lot of food left at winterfell and that it's growing colder but you know they're safe within the within the castle walls and theon is thinking so much in this chapter about when he's being asked in this chapter about how he was able to take and capture Winterfell and kind of what Stannis could or couldn't do and thinking about different strategy from that end to seeing what's happening on the other side as they're very slowly making their journey to attempt to take the castle and what the hopes and dreams of somebody like Stannis and his um his determination and his goal and how much that is not going to happen in reality and how much the world is just completely working against this guy and so i uh i like that dual perspective of the two of them really gearing up for this same major event that we don't know yet know the outcome to. God, Stannis is grim. <laughs> I know. You can imagine him, just his hair is thinning a little bit, and he's got that closely cropped beard. And uh, everyone's wondering, just like, what is he looking at in the fire? And it's the way that he avoids making eye contact with all of you, you fucks. <laughs> well, they say, I mean, they talk about him at one point, something along along the lines of a man with one foot in the grave, or yeah. one foot in, one foot out of the grave. And so... He's uh he's been better. Yeah, he's been better. Things have been better. Things have been better. I miss Davos. I think he misses Davos. I wonder how much he's thinking about Davos in times like this. Do you think he has a picture of Davos that he kind of like keeps in his pocket? I don't think so. I think that we're creating all of this romance between <laughs> Davos. He's so ready to just. <laughs> we uh, are. 100%. How brutal is that journey? And how just hopeless does George R. R. Martin spin a tale as they get further and further? One, as they slowly travel shorter and shorter and shorter distances until the very end, they're like, they went half a mile that day. Yeah. I remember when there was a, a part in the chapter when it was like, well, we've reached the 15 days that we were supposedly yeah. going to make between Deepwood Mott to Winterfell. That's like 300 miles, they said, as the crow flies. Supposed to make it in 15 days, and they had not even reached the halfway point. Right. My little brother was texting me today. We were texting about some video game and then we we started just reminiscing about playing runescape which is another game when we were kids and we were making jokes about uh leveling up your agility points just mm -hmm. so you could like jump fences and basically the the big draw the big benefit there was you could skip a lot of 
bullshit and just jump a fits instead of walking around and fighting a bunch of guys. And we were like, ah, those were the days. And then he was like, yeah, but uh, this is a really long, ridiculous story. So I have to finish it now. Okay. So you can level up to level 99 and stuff. It's really hard to do that. It takes a really, really long time. Like no one does it. Cause it's, I don't know the, the distance from level 92 to level 99, like that one to 92 is the halfway point from 92 to 99 when the, oh. I was just like, Oh man. And I feel like that's where these guys are in this mm-hmm. case. It's mm-hmm. like, it's already been so hard. We've already lost people. We're now eating raw meat. And they're already kind of walking into what very easily could be a losing battle. And on so, top of it. On top of it. And so I feel like even in good circumstances, that in and of itself would be looming over their heads. But instead, they're having to deal with a weather and season that not many of them, except for those few guys showing off the whole time about how it's not even cold. I hate I people like that. Like that. I like it. I, think it's so I can't annoying. tell. <laughs> you know, like everybody knows people like that. They're like, it's not even cold. They're just like the guys that are in Winterfell, the same Northern dudes. They're sort of casual in the same exact way. They're having fun. I think imagine yeah. all of these South run people in your zone and you're like, you oh, got the home the court advantage. Way. That's why it annoys me. It's because I see too much of myself in there. I think it's fun. Mm. I backpacked in the snow before, and let me tell you, I lasted mm, all of two days. What was that like? It was terrible. Did you feel your feet? There was a part in this chapter where, and I think we're kind of bouncing back and forth. We'll eventually find our footing. But Asha was eventually relieved from riding in a wagon. Like she had a carriage, right? Mm -hmm. And eventually the horses couldn't pull it anymore because they became dead. And so he became dead. <laughs> Justin Massey finally was like, all right, here's here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you out of these chains, but the horse can't carry both of us no matter how badly I want to marry you. He's like, I'm really embarrassed about this, but you have to walk. And she had been riding in that the entire trip mm-hmm. and she became foot sore really quickly. And she was like, it's OK. I'm not even going to fill my feet here in a little bit and she stopped feeling her feet is that what happened to you um pretty close i mean very less much less dramatic but my shoes got snow in them so it was not awesome you get really cold really fast what do you feel about that moment where she said the cabin had made her weak and she sort of regretted it the comfort that she had Mm -hmm. what do you think about that line between yeah i know i need the strength in order to be more fitted for this moment but what about all that time i didn't have to deal with it um i don't know i think that that's i'm thinking about how that in the same chapter she kind of reminisces or not reminisces but she's thinking about how she hopes to never have to go through a real winter like if this isn't really winter then um I don't want to see what that actually looks like. And so I feel like the argument could be made that like she likes to be in situations where she feels like she's becoming more and yada yada. And so on one hand, her saying that she's gone soft, I feel like would support that. But the fact that she's not interested in going any further down whatever road this winter might take, whatever our true winter might take her. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe those don't 
overlap together at all. But that's just kind of what I'm thinking about. She's normally very, she's so tough. Her resolve is is more strong and she's more trustworthy, it seems, as a reader than most of the characters that we are able to spend time with. And yet the cold has just like, she's like, all right, I'm, no one's listening, right? No one's reading my point of view chapter. And if they are, it doesn't have my name at the top of it, right? She's like, I hate the cold. I'm never going out there again. I hate it. This is a cold that drives men mad. Yeesh. what she yeah. says. Because you see, I mean, you start to see so much between Stannis's men. They're just absolutely deteriorating as they continue to push forward. And they just begin fighting with each other. And things get pretty intense um, down the road. But one of the things I was really excited to ask you about is there's a couple things. One, the fact that they are called Queensmen, or that's like what they call nickname not nicely. Not Celise either. A different yeah. queen. The red queen. But when they things start getting really, really desperate and Asha kind of watches as everything is deteriorating from her relatively comfortable position with her little BFF Justin and the fact that she's being treated really well. And all of these men start asking and calling for sacrifices to the red god mm-hmm. or some sort of drastic thing that may bring them closer or the advantage or what have you and stannis says heck no we will not do pray harder yeah pray harder we won't do this and we just watched on rewatch the episode in season five when stannis burns serene and so i was thinking about that so much during this chapter because their plight is much worse off than it was in that moment in season five, in my opinion. Yeah, it was and- strange. They had the a few good men moment with Ramsey that morning or that mm-hmm. night rather, and he killed people and that sucks. And then they eventually uh, hung the people that were on watch that Ramsey broke through. So there was some, it wasn't, the morale wasn't good. But it, yeah, you're right. It was not like this. The world is just not as dangerous, it seems. You know what I mean? Like it was mm-hmm. definitely snowing, but a there's little a difference bit. between snow and marching from Deepwood Mott to Winterfell, even though they marched presumably from Castle Black to Winterfell. Right. Anyway. So I see what you mean though. Like what would they do in this case if he was if he was depicted as burning Shireen? Like interesting. Right, right. If that's all it took for him to burn Shireen, quote unquote, all it took. I feel like he's train. waiting for the time when they really need to do it, you know, because if you start burning someone now when people aren't losing their minds, you know, then it's going to get even crazy. Their minds, though. They are, but it's not everyone. Like, there's still some semblance of order, you know, and like they still have the, the, they're still going to his tent. You know, we, we learn how we, we're told by George that Stannis's tent has mildew and it's it's the the white is becoming a, a, a brown, a, sort of a road-worn off-white. But Stannis still has his tent. And so maybe he's waiting until it really breaks down before something like that happens. Right. Or until they're closer or until they've been able to make a real camp as they have now and kind of hope to eventually, I guess, draw the foe out to them. Who do you think it's going to be when it happens? Oh, who's going to burn? We're being told about it so much. Yeah. I can't think that that it wouldn't happen. 
I can't think that Stannis would not try it, at least, if shit was really south. Right. Well, right. And I I think that Stannis is going to be set up to fail in some, like, spectacular way in the same sense with that burning of Shireen. But who would we think is a character? Because the Shireen burning had a pretty intense impact. And I'm trying to think of who in Stannis' world at this moment in time would have as much of a gut punch impact as as Shireen did because you know the that relationship and those characters aren't as prevalent here and so if they could what somehow like? make it to where there was a good excuse to burn Asha then I think that that would be a big bummer oh for sure yeah I think that that's to me like I think that that's a good She's but it's the so interesting be- of Balon, you know yeah, but she even says herself at some point in this chapter, like, if only he understood how of little worth I am. Mm. Like, I'm so much more worthwhile fighting against him than he is using me as a hostage because Euron doesn't care. Theon can't do anything. And yeah, but he geez. doesn't have anything, though. Yeah. I feel like having Asha to, I don't know, it's like a. It's a name. It's a name. And even if. It doesn't work out. It's not like he lost a lot by taking care of her this far. Right. Right. That's true. But I just think it's interesting that, like, she doesn't – I think she would be one of those people who would readily admit the type of captive that she might be. Mm-hmm. But I think Asha could be a, t- a contender. I mean, I don't think there's anybody else in the camp with them right now that would – I'm trying to think who's, like, really with them. It's a lot of confusing lineage stuff with who might be born from who and and what a hint here could mean. Like, is this person like there's the the Carl theory with the the, the guy that we know who last slept with Asha. She may be pregnant and he might he right. might also have been uh, descended from a whisper of some interesting blood. Right. You can find all that stuff on the Internet. It's hard to remember everything at this point. I know I put a, I put a note in my notes that said. Do I even want to go into the fact that Asha might be pregnant? And I highlighted it <laughs> if I had time to read about it later. Well, you've got time. <laughs> because judging from my last hangout with George R. R. Martin, he's still working on the Winds of Winter. I'm okay with that. Me too. Man, he sounded really sad when he was talking about it. Like, he really yeah. felt like he was letting people down. And that was a bummer. There's been a lot of stuff recently coming out from him. Like, there's been a couple interviews lately where he's really seemed down about it. And I don't blame the guy. Struggling with something can be a, a really easy thing to let go and just to let the momentum compound and i don't know if that's happening to him or if it's just the complexity of the work that has led to so much time he needs to start stop writing so many randos <laughs> there's so many randos in this chapter which is your favorite rando oh uh, my favorite rando i think is justin massey just because he has such a normal name it's like we have like stannis baratheon and people like asha and Mormont and all these fancy, fantasy, fantastical sounding names. And we just have Justin Massey. Justin Massey <laughs> sounds like like the D-bag from eighth grade who was really good at P.E. or something. Yeah. He, George kind of writes those D-bags and they seem to be after the same thing, after marrying someone and trying to get their money. Yeah. I think he's got some money, too, though, but not the same claim. You know, I know that. Greyjoys, because we're in their point of view chapter, they're not that impressive to us. And we've known Theon for a long time. But imagine just living in Westeros and always hearing about how crazy the Greyjoys are. And now there's this Greyjoy 
royalty essentially right there. And you're like, hey, man, I might be able to. She's in chains. This is a pretty good chance. I'm, let's see what happens. Well, and especially somebody like Asha who gets it. That's true. That's a good match. Why not? Too bad it's not a good match yeah. for her. It's good for her to kind of have somebody to hang with and That's also true. somebody to kind of help her out. And so she's not just here in the dark. Yeah, that must be nice. She's. Yeah. I was really sad when I learned. And it was just very abrupt and geez, and she's not thinking about it so much. So maybe it's not bumming her out, but all the people she left behind, she's got like mm-hmm. nine men left and uh, yeah. they're a strange fellowship. They are. I think we get a glimmer well, what's of her to them? being bummed out, at least in the sense of, and I'm trying to scroll through the chapter right now when she talks about how, and maybe I was misremembering, but she's taught when she's talking about the fact that she holds She's not that great of a captive or holds no claim. Maybe she was talking about Justin, too, Mm -hmm. instead. But anyway, and she thinks about how she has failed twice and how the Iron Islands are not a – they're not a forgiving people. The Ironborn aren't. And so they're – she's not likely to sit on the – Seastone chair after losing – Seastone chair. The Queen's Mm -hmm. moot, King's moot. Yeah. And this kind of thing. And losing at Deepwood Mott, most importantly. It's like, okay, yeah. why are we going to follow you? What can you actually do? You know? So she's yeah. feeling so pretty distraught, too. I think too. she feels it. I think she feels it a little bit. Not only that her situation is cold and terrible, but also that she's in a completely different potential place with her people than she was at the beginning of the book. She mm-hmm. was almost a leader, and now she's a captive. What role do we think? Oh, I mean, so I guess to not to jump too far ahead, but... We're on the second chapter of two right now. I think we're pretty far. No, I'm saying like, yeah, that's true. We're reading. We're talking about the second chapter instead of the first (laughs) one, but I just decided to go with it. I'm saying at the end of the next chapter, their last chapter, her last chapter, and here, like reuniting or seeing Theon, Mm -hmm. kind of like what their role is going to be as we're talking about everything kind of converging at Winterfell. What that might look like. God, it's gonna be so cool, especially with Mm -hmm. Mance and his people there. This is a Probably a boring statement for those of you who are listening and aren't too fond of season five and beyond of the HBO series. It's just so much more interesting than Winterfell as we uh, know it in the TV show. Yeah. Like on a yeah. crazy level, though. I understand some of the sacrifices that were made, but maybe just put in the glamoring stuff and just let it go. Unless they really don't think that it's going to go anywhere. But I just can't see that being. A, There's a, less the randos there, though, in the TV show. That's true. We didn't have to learn a lot of Rando's names, but that doesn't, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I think maybe learning the Rando's names in the show is why we liked it so much in the first place. Yeah. Being annoying. Know. It's like, please give me some lore to get lost in. It's so much easier than thinking about the real world. Unless you read a chapter like this and it's like, okay, everyone's freezing to death. <laughs> yeah. <kind> of <laughs> this isn't really escapism, is it? I really liked how they were woven together. And I really liked reading Dion's chapter first and having his state of mind be it just reminded me so much of where we were last with him remembering him hiding away among the trees and finding places in winterfell where he could be himself and uh finding warmth in this place where he was a stranger and he's there again and he is potentially the most i mean there are other people there that i assume have been living there for a very long time as well but theon spent his life there and uh he's again continually a stranger Mm -hmm. and uh, they're dealing with the coming threat of an army 
and with the same threat of the elements, but obviously they're protected by what's left of Winterfell. But they're still behind the walls. They have some protection. They have some protection. I just liked how they're both Greyjoys. They're brother and sister. And we're so deep inside of their head and they're suffering in their own way. And there's playing and gamesmanship happening around them. There's all these varying personalities, but we're still just so planted firmly in their head. And we're dealing with simple things like Dion being slightly jealous of a dog or slightly suspicious of a dog. And Asha thinking about what this guy is doing. And eh, I'll go along with it as long as I can. It's still very real. And uh, I don't know, it makes it interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, and both of them are kind of living in shadows of what they have been, what they could have been, what they might be, and definitely Asha to a mu- much less extent and a much – her situation is not nearly as extreme as Theon Reeks has, but the Greyjoys are struggling. Yeah, except for that one Greyjoy who has an eye patch on and yeah, a mute I know. crew. And There's he's that guy. Just bloodthirsty along the western coast of Westeros. But we don't know a lot about him at this point, do we? I know. It's just a crazy, crazy family. I mean, the Boltons are crazy for sure, but these Greyjoys are crazy, man. I'm never going to forgive myself for the three day period. That I was in love with your own Greyjoy. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, this? yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the comeback. You're like, you know, I like this this yeah, season. Like, Not bad, guys. What was that? Season six? Season seven? Season seven. I think it was seven, yeah. Yeah, it was, was the seven. I remember everyone was in love with Euron for like three yeah. days. And then we, he like wore eyeliner like some mid-2000s. Well, he was like in the throne room just curtsying and, and bowing and making Hand, was he making hand jokes or dick jokes or both to Jamie? Probably both. Probably and I was both. Into all of Who them. knows? And then I learned the air of my ways and blah, 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 blah. Should we talk about the Dion chapter? Yeah, I... We can go back. We have to go back? Today's episode is sponsored by Lisa. Do you wake up feeling achy, easily distracted, or forgetting things? A quality night's sleep makes all the difference. And the right mattress is the key to getting proper rest instead of just laying down. The Lisa mattress is a product of 30 years of experience and hundreds of hours of rigorous product testing. Designed for body contouring and pressure relief, the Lisa mattress is perfect for all sleepers. Instead of going to the store, you can shop conveniently online with free shipping and 100 nights to try the mattress in your own home. The Lisa Mattress is backed by more than 12,000 five-star reviews and loved by more than 300,000 happy sleepers. Lisa also donates one mattress for every 10 sold, so you can sleep easy and feel good about your purchase. Right now, get $150 off the Lisa Mattress plus a free pillow at lisa.com slash owns and enter promo code O-W-N-S owns at checkout. This is Lisa's best offer at lisa.com slash owns, promo code owns. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash O-W-N-S, promo code owns. Bruce Bolton and his men are celebrating the storm. They're like, can you believe Stannis, the manis, is going to lose to us? 
is basically what they're cheering about. They're like, this is crazy. We're in Ned Stark's castle and Stannis is going to lose to us because he's marching in this hellscape of a blizzard. Man, that's going to be crazy. The White Walkers definitely aren't real, guys. Nothing bad is ever going to happen to us. Right. Wyman Manderley is chowing down on porridge. That line made me laugh out loud. Did you highlight it? Yes. Well, please share it with everyone. I'm scrolling back to it. Do, 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 do. On the d- dais, Lord Wyman Manderley's sabotuna pair of White Harbor Knights spooning porridge into his fat face. <laughs> <laughs> he did not seem to be enjoying it near as much as he had the pork pies at the wedding. Just funny. It's like oh, well. they could have just he could have just written that like he was scarfing down porridge, but instead he had to say into his fat face. <laughs> so funny. It's just he's an affront to everything they're dealing with right now. And he's just kind of been an affront, like a a big F you in the the nose, hopefully, of Roose Bolton this whole time. And so why not he's just why not spoon porridge into There's your face? There's another great Wyman Manderly moment in this chapter that I will remember as we get through it. He's an interesting guy. Mance Raider and his friends are hanging out. Abel the the singer, he's like, Yeah, I'll sing for you guys. This will be a good song for you. I'm a singer. This is the first time I've ever been here. Are you gonna reenact what song he sang? He sang a rendition of The Dornishman's Wife, but he changed it up, guys. He's a bard. He knows his crowd. And we know how smooth the man, the mystery, Mance Raider really is. So he's like, all right, I, don't, I know what I'm going to do. He tries something that could potentially, the crowd could turn on you. This could not well, be especially good. Especially as they've all been like drinking and hanging. It can change real fast. But he, he takes a risk. He changes The Dornishman's Wife to The Northman's Wife. And just rem- just remember that, I don't know, for some reason, everyone seems to have a pretty body. I don't know if that's the right word. Everyone's pretty, like, you know what I mean? They're not, it's not like this is a clean society. But for some reason, like, oh, no, let's take, let's take this stuff very seriously. We could potentially get, this guy could get hurt. He could have his teeth knocked out. He could have his hands, like his fingers broken, cut his fingers off for playing the wrong thing, for quoting the wrong thing. But. It works. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. Love the risk. It paid off. He switches the lyrics to being about, it's like a, he started singing about North people. The yeah, end. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Ramsey has Jane Poole chained naked to his bed. No, she's only naked when she bathes. Oh, yeah. He says that that's just a rumor because oh, yeah. he personally tends to her. Oh, yeah. He has to be the one to bathe her. Cool, Ramsey. And he has to be the... It's interesting that... I don't know. This is like just a broader conversation of Theon and kind of him becoming back to himself, but being in such close proximity to Jane is something that really helps him to recognize himself only because she just continually calls him as she knows him. And he struggles to... He... As the chapter wears on, he continues to like struggle more and more with calling her Arya. But it's just an interesting choice made by Ramsay at this point to kind of put them in such like a um intimate setting together continually. when continually when she's Jane is like the only other person in this entire castle who has any sort of familial relationship with Theon. 
I think we just have to chalk that up to just ridiculous overconfidence on behalf of Ramsey. He thinks he has Reek trained to a T. Especially at this point in the story. You got to think that there's, with everything changing though, and you haven't taken off one of his fingers in a while, you you know what I mean? Maybe be more careful about that. And Theon was Maybe. drinking in this chapter. Mm-hmm. He's just had a level of comfort that's so different. And if you listen to us, we're calling him Theon. We're not even correcting ourselves for a little laugh. Like, mm, well, because sure that's what he's. Reek. I mean, that's what he's calling himself for the most mm-hmm. part when he's thinking. And and you know, as we we get a couple of Reek chapters and we get Prince of mm-hmm. Winterfell this chapter, and then Ghosts of Winterfell. And Theon come next. And so we're in the midst of his transition. And there's a moment in this chapter that I feel like we really see him as he falls to his knees um, in the godswood. He, you know, I'm just repeating myself what we've said every Theon chapter in all of A Feast, whatever we call this reading order. But it's just, I feel like this chapter is such a major turning point in him stumbling and him trying to coach Jane into just be Arya, just give in kind of thing while also really starting to think – he thinks about escape for the first time. I mean, yeah. that's huge. And so I think that you plant that seed in your head once and then that's the, that's the end of it. And we're getting all this cool history and he's thinking about Bran and – all this different stuff, I just feel like it's um, like all of a sudden we've got one of our characters in Winterfell, and he's been there for a while, but we haven't been able yes. to enjoy that. Exactly, that's such a great way to put it. That's such a great way to put it because we forget we've forgotten where he is. That's such a, a ruined man, a ruined castle. This is my place. Well, now he's walking through, remembering all these different moments, and bringing somebody down. Into the crypts and getting all, you know, it's just, it's very. stuff he remembers. Yeah, it's very atmospheric in him kind of recalling. This is where Bran fell. Mm -hmm. Look at this gargoyle. I remember the look on Rob's face. I remember the look on Rob's face when I told him. And we're talking about Ned and Catelyn and. Barbie Justin is just openly calling him Dion. What was your read on the whole? Lady Dustin situation. I think Barbara Dustin's a wild lady, man. Yeah, yeah, she's wild. She's wild. First off, she's really fan, uh, fond of Brandon Stark, hollow mm-hmm. Brandon Stark, and I think that she's currently very fond of Bruce Bolton, hollow Bruce Bolton, hollow Lady <laughs> Dustin. <laughs> and right now, she really wants more than anything in the world Ned Stark's bones, ladies and gentlemen. Obviously, so who doesn't want Ned Stark's bones? Mm. I was going to say just <laughs> Lady Catelyn. <laughs> yeah, Lady Stoneheart's looking for Ned Stark's bones. Oh, jeez. It's just interesting that she's like divulging all of her feelings about oh, yeah. Brandon Stark. And maybe she was going to marry Ned for a hot second. And she just got left with this other guy. She's like, my dad would have thrown me at Annie Stark walking by. She's not (laughs) mad about it either. No, she's not. (laughs) It's just just interesting. I guess it's not really a secret, but it's just, you know, she's just kind of telling Theon 
everything under the sun. Can we come back to that? I want to ask you a question about Theon. I think this might be sort of related. Yeah, of course. Do you think that he's more so losing the reek training because of Ramsay's lack of attention? Or do you think it's because of planning directly, indirectly influence from Roos? Or do you think it might be just because of everyone being there and the fact that the two Bolton guys are just sort of busy being brusque leaders and assholes that they're just both ignoring Theon and he just got put in a ceremony where all these people recognized him as Theon. And so all these people are here calling him Theon and the momentum is just so strong. Maybe the training is wearing off or, you know, what do you, what do you think is the reason that he's turning from Reek, Reek to Ghost in Winterfell, the Turncloak at this moment when he's turning his cloak on potentially the Boltons, it seems. Right. It definitely seems that way, right? It's an interesting question because I feel like Theon is so much so one of those characters who has always, maybe not felt, but has always proclaimed like a very intense sense of self, which I think has like been rooted a little bit in his insecurity, but he's always been the first to kind of loudly proclaim who he is and all that kind of stuff. And so I feel like you give that back to him just a little bit he more so than like a lot of other people in the series is going to really grasp onto this idea of who he is and where he came from not even just in a traditional sense and he's ironborn but in the reality of where he really came from which is here in winterfell i feel like you give him an inch and he just needed a little bit to take a mile kind of thing. And I don't I don't think that there's one specific cause. Like I think that what happens between him and Roos and I think Ramsey's lack of attention and I think his interactions with Jane and I think the fact that the impending battle coming in. I mean, I think it all kind of plays in together. I don't think it's one specific instance. I think that what he's in is going to take more than one specific instance, but I feel like Ramsey took it too far when he asked Theon to play himself. And I just think that that was like one step too far over the line in the sense of he wasn't, well, I don't know. I'm not going to say he wasn't gone enough, so far gone enough from who he is. But he's just like the kind of character who's not going to be forgetful of where he came from, regardless of, of like... He's really truthful about where he came from. Does that make any sense? It does. And I think that that might have been the the key, getting that out of him might have been the key to turning him into Reek. But like you said, it, would it out of all the people, he might have been the worst to choose because he really does have a very strong sense of self. It's like Arya too. Yeah. You know? That's true. And everything she goes through at the House of Black and White. And this like inability to completely turn over. So... Well, the first time that he was sent, when he was sent to Moat Kalen by Roose Bolton, that was when he was given the ability or given the permission rather than to call himself Dion. That's when Bruce, you know, gave him a horse and he had different clothes and he was like, eh, talking shit about Ramsey, basically, his God in front of him, mm-hmm. which is really, you know, sort of frame of reference shattering. Like your operating system is broken. If your God is all of a sudden a joke to this guy and this guy's calling you Theon, what do you think real is? 
But he's like, okay, this is all meaningless because I am, at the end of the day, just Reek and I'm going to carry out my task. Do you think that Roos may have potentially been jealous of what Ramsey was able to do? And he doesn't like Ramsey at all, it seems, or sometimes it seems he really likes him. You know, it's kind of all over the place. He's just not a trustworthy guy, kind of wants everything for himself. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think that he was just seriously trying to... Do you think do you think there's any part of him that was trying to uproot the situation with with Ramsey and and Theon? Like just to f- fuck it up for him so he wouldn't have Reek to maybe do some more harm down the road or even maybe just to be casual with it. Or do you think it was just he really just needed him to do that only and that he wasn't trying to do anything else? Like he wasn't actually trying to like make him get better to mess with Ramsey. Oh, I think he absolutely was trying to mess with Ramsey. Hmm. I think 100%. I mean, you look at their dynamic. I think that he 100% was at least trying to undermine him. So how far do you think? Sorry, go on. Well, he's always made all these weird comments and has obviously had all these all these complicated feelings for Ramsey's relationship with Reek anyway. And right. so I definitely think that it maybe wasn't like he didn't maybe mean for it to go this far or maybe he did, but I do think it was on purpose. Do you think that he might have been intimidated or really happy? Like, oh, you're definitely my son. Or do you think he was like, oh, crap, look at this. Like, imagine how proud like... you would be if, if you were Bruce's kid and he came home and like you had a, a highborn as your plaything. Just a complete monster. Well, such is the complicated relationship of Bruce and Ramsey and the wild journey of Bruce Bolton and how confusing that guy is because we see so often that he seems to understand that Ramsey is out of his mind, but he doesn't really do anything to stop it. And he also seems kind of proud of him. So it's just, it's such a fascinating dynamic because there's no real line. So if you think Ruse definitely wants Reek to be shaken up, and if Barbie Dustin and Ruse have a connection, like do you think that Ruse is potentially feeding directions to Lady Dustin to communicate it to Theon to communicate it to Ramsay, whether directly or indirectly? Like that Arya comment that she that makes. That Arya comment, yeah. Which was really interesting. It was so interesting. And it made mm-hmm. me think about, uh, you know, that first moment with Roose and Theon. Like how, how far this goes or if he saw that it could be potential. You know, like is this a plan or is it like, uh, I might as well throw my chips in this basket. Like I'm not going to rely on this happening. But, you know, I might as well see if, you know, he really will – be that much of a slave to us if he'll pass this information along in some way or if he can be someone that's helpful you know to undermine ramsey indirectly yeah but how can you imagine reek in his truest state saying hey ramsey i think you're not doing like you need to do a better job yeah that's such that's a true. gamble you know do you think I that mean, he was meant to just do it behind the scenes on his own like tell her to be like a better hostage maybe because he knows her maybe and i wonder if that's what ramsey thought he might do as well i mean he tries to do that he does yeah he does he's probably the only one that would that could actually make without threatening her he's probably the one that could do it the best the the 
the most impact on her to try because right. he knows best and also he knows her and he can show her exactly what, what he's been through right. exactly and so yeah i don't know i think it's i think that it's uh, uh, like fascinating to kind of break down a lot of those dynamics because it's so much we're talking about stannis in the chapter before and while those relationships are pretty complicated stannis is pretty straightforward in the sense of what the mission is and like what they're trying to accomplish and he we know where he's gonna fall whereas somebody like the boltons and you put lady dustin in the mix and all of them it's not quite sure who's on what side and who's working for who and who's reporting back to who and who's undermining who you know i feel like there's so much less of that in what's going on in stannis's world just because of the kind of guy that stannis is and so um you know this info dump that we get is that supposed to like really mean anything or you know is she trying to use theon for something or is she just thinking that he's not going to tell anybody you know i don't know maybe neither there's just a lot of so cliche but a lot of like back and forth behind the scenes that is going to unravel everything how much do you think it matters like the stuff with Ned's bones. Do you think that no. I, I read some theory that there's this thing called the dog net? Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even want to get I'm into so it. I'm so glad you know about it. <laughs> I don't know anything about it. Will you tell me something about it, please? No, that's Just... all I know about it is that it exists and there's some connection between I don't know enough about it to have an informed opinion other than I don't want to know more about it because I don't think it's real. Yeah. But it sounds really fun, though. I mean, all I know about it is that it's a second. What did you say? I said, but it sounds really fun, though. I don't know. It's just it's one of those things where it's like, I don't think it's really that complicated. (laughs) Okay. You know, I truly don't think I think that there are some complexities within A Song of Ice and Fire Obviously, we have a podcast about it, but like, at what point are we going to say that George R. R. Martin definitely does not know what the dog net is? Like, he doesn't even know about it himself? No, that's just my humble opinion. And I have a lot of bad opinions, so IDK, but that's just what I think about that. So I, I, I just like, I don't think that, I think that this is nothing. I, I think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, it's and I, it's really cool to learn about Lady Dustin's past and how much it, I love it weaves it. in with the Starks and learning more about Starks. I feel like I got a a sense of Brandon Stark in this chapter that really humanized him. Before I had a lot more lofty of an opinion, kind of like a even more stern or even more charismatic in his own way. Ned, not necessarily stern, but it doesn't I really seem it. that way now. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting to get that backstory, and I think that in and of itself is a reason to put it in here. Barbary Dustin. Um, you know who else we got a mention of? Please. Blood Raven. It made me think of Bran and how much of a presence he had in this chapter overall, especially when mm-hmm. Theon was obviously the moment he was alone with the the weirwood tree and hearing yeah. the sobbing of Jane Poole. I was like, can he hear Jane sobbing, or is Bran trying to tell Theon and us something at the same time? Mm-hmm. What could he be telling him? I wonder what that could mean, you know? I think that Theon thought about escaping and that he can't. He can't leave them. 
he could escape. He could escape the same way that he arrived. But there are other people there that are suffering. And he knows, like he knew Winterfell, he knows his captor better than anyone else. Right. And I think that there's something that he could, he could, he could come back from this. There's, there's redemption for you yet, Theon Greyjoy. And I think that the sobbing maybe was there to remind him what the, what was really at stake. Because who cares about yourself at that point? He he can't other he can't tumble with Rowan. He can't do anything that he wants to do at this point. What what is what is there left than the thoughts that are plaguing him at night? You know, and how how does he resolve some of those feelings? Mm-hmm. You know what it reminded me of, and I feel like this is my second lame is reference like in a row. Or either on this podcast or rewatch, I can't remember. But there's this moment, like at the beginning of Lame Is, when Jean Valjean kind of he has the same moment where the I felt like they had very parallel moments where basically in Lame Is, like Jean Valjean is this character, he comes across this chimney sweep kid, like he's just had this amazing experience where he's been forgiven by a bishop, a local bishop, because he steals from him. And the bishop shows him kindness and lets him free. And so then he's like walking along the road after that. And he sees this little kid and he steals money from him and like chases him off after he's been given this great act of kindness. And then he realizes that he made a mistake. And this is like a huge turning point in his life. And he has the same moment that Theon has where they both kind of like sink to their knees and say out loud, like, he says, I'm such a miserable man, which is something I think about all the time. But Theon kind of does the same thing where he's like, I never meant and, you know, please. So I just I think that like we talk about a redemption arc all the time with Theon and this whole Les Mis tangent is helpful to nobody but me who's like obsessed with it. But it just is him truly recognizing the mistakes that he's made and where he's come from and who he is and that he has nothing but also everything like he has opportunity and it's like you were saying he's him hearing jane crying it's like he can make a difference here and there's something he can do and it's like that realization of he's been completely broken down he's literally on his knees and he he's like give me and he's like what do i even want what is it that like is going to change my situation and how can I use something with it? And I just felt like as, you know, Les Mis is very much like a story of redemption and of turning to the light or whatever. And I think that Theon is at this 100% same moment. And to me, more so than like him thinking of escape, like to me, this moment was like, okay, he's back. That's my uh, lame Miz tangent for the day. My lame Miz podcast (laughs) in Game of Bones. (laughs) It's just interesting. I just like it. I like it too. He had those uh, archetypal reactions or interactions rather in the chapter leading up into that moment where he um, was able to sort of reflect on everything. When Rowan, one of the Bard's women, one of the Washer women, it's a wildling, but at this point, it's not clear. I think she does what some, what anyone would do in that situation, even though it's much more pointed. 
it could just seem like someone's getting close to someone interesting. And maybe she's just a washerwoman, whatever that means. Maybe she doesn't always have an opportunity to talk to someone that's so close to what's happening in this castle. All of these men there that are sleeping where they, they've got their mail on and they have watch and they're sleeping where they have watch. You know what I mean? Like they're, this, this place has just kind of turned into like a, a really overran summer camp and there's bunks everywhere <laughs> and it's, except yeah. it's in the dead of winter and I'm just imagining it dark all the time, just really mm-hmm. dark. And it could just be someone talking to Theon like, Hey, uh, tell me about how you made all of this happen because you made all of this happen, right? It's not like she – it's not like everyone doesn't know the story about the turncloak and he knows that too. It's not like you can't see him and clearly see that he's a ruin of a man. Kind of mysterious. Mysterious. And so he's suspicious but like not newly suspicious. He's just used to people treating him a certain way. Like when he goes out in the yard later and they think that uh, it's he's someone else and they realize it's him and they spit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's used to it. He's just like, okay, I've got a built-up tolerance to this. But she, she's asking questions about how he sacked Winterfell. She's saying stuff like, you know, if I'm not the one that you want, I can probably find someone that you like. And it's just he's in a different headspace. You know, it's all just noise. It's like the same kind of noise he's been hearing, and it's just adding to the din. And it's just like static is being turned up, and he's – in his head already he's been in his head already so much and with mm-hmm. this just repeated on and on stuff with jane Poole, who's just a relic of his past again which is a really dangerous thing to throw in his way not only calling him theon all the time but someone that is a person from inside of that time that he's right. intimately communicating with on a regular basis and then imagine again you're meeting with rowan and you go outside and you're seeing a snowball fight and you're seeing squires that have built snowmen along the snowmen. battlements. And they're making fun yeah. of who's inside. And he's remembering his time there as a kid. Well, I, th- I really like what you said earlier about us being able to see. It's like we forgot we were at Winterfell. Because mm-hmm. I just really felt like we were in Winterfell for a really long time. You can almost hear when he's, um, he, uh, as the washerwoman, is kind of coming on. You can almost hear like the noise in his head getting louder and louder mm-hmm. as you're kind of mentioning it. And him like the secret, like that static is kind of getting more and more intense as, as that conversation goes on and on. And it's just all bullshit. He's just like, mm-hmm. I, I would like to do one of three things. One's violence. One is lustful. And one is I just don't care. AKA mm-hmm. just leave me alone. Like, I don't know what you're up to, but I know that you don't want anything to do with me. Not in a real way. No one does later. Well, and he's wrestling with like all 95 of his urges at once. Mm-hmm. Better than him not wrestling with them at all. I know. It's a big change. It's a big change. When you think about what it was like to be in the dark and putting a rodent in your mouth and crunching down and it being like, mmm, so good. Yeah. I'm curious and looking forward to the way that George R. R. Martin treats him coming out of this and what that looks like for him down the road because you think about somebody like Tyrion who went through a trauma in a much different sense um, and maybe not on the same level, but trauma nonetheless. And that undercuts every single thing he does for the rest of his storyline. Or his life, potentially, depending on how others perceive him, I guess. Yeah. And and what is this going to mean for Theon? Because we don't really get to see it play out 
on screen, I think it's going to be fascinating. I think so too. Hopefully Asha will be more of a help than Yara. (laughs) Who? (laughs) Yeah. Great question. (laughs) I think that she will be. She's, she's just so real, you know? Mm-hmm. Like she's not even she's a great joint. She's not even pretending like the cold is whatever. She's like, this sucks. Yeah, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> I really like her. I think she's 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 cool. I like her, too. I love reading her chapters. I really like this Winterfell chapter because there's just so many strange people all around Winterfell. It was so dark again. Randos just randos all over the place. It's so moody in a way it's that I lo- really love. Moody. We're literally in the crypts of Winterfell. It took them half an hour. Can you imagine coming upon that like storm door? Basically, the 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 greater building around it was burned down in the sack of Winterfell, obviously. But can you imagine spending half an hour clearing that shit out of the way to go down in the crypts? You have to really want to go down. I would have given up. Yeah, yeah. You got to really want to go down. It says it took them half an hour of digging in the snow. They're just standing there. I like Theon. This is so dumb. I like Theon's moodiness more than I like Jon Snow's. The end. Wait, I got questions. I have questions. Well, like Jon Snow, like being moody at, at the wall, it's like, okay, I get it. But I just think Theon is so much more interesting. God, it's so true. But you just want people to suffer then, right? You're like, you know, I appreciate all that you went through. This is way more entertaining for me. I mean, it's like in high school when I listened to really emo music, and everyone was like, <laughs> Or now, when I listen to really emo music and everyone's like, your life has been so easy. Why do you love (laughs) emo music? Mm, Great question. That is a good question. I don't know. I don't love that Theon suffered in any way, but I just feel like he is just in such like a fascinating arc. And I just am so much more interested in the inner turmoil that he's facing Mm -hmm. more than John's boring inner turmoil. I feel like we've also experienced John's arc more so in culture that we've been exposed to growing up because it's a lot more fun and it doesn't make you sad yeah that's my hot take Vader Jones yes there's like 93 options I give my own to Barbie Dustin and Mance Raider hmm and How also come? Ned's bones. I just, okay. <laughs> I was like, are you just going to leave it <laughs> on that cliffhanger? I think that uh, it's, the Barbie Dustin owns pretty straightforward. And Mance Raider and his friends are doing some interesting work in Winterfell. I'm really excited to see the further implications of their presence and to talk about it here on the podcast. Love it. What about you? I feel like that's my re- reaction every time you give an own, but it's sincere. <laughs> just like, yep. That worked. <laughs> <laughs> um, my own is going to go to a line Theon says when he or thinks when he thinks to himself, "There are ghosts in Winterfell." He thought, and I am one of them. Oof. Because you know what's coming next. Somebody just slammed their door very loudly in the hallway. <laughs> you know what's coming next? A ghost in Winterfell chapter. Well, not really next, but next for Theon. So love that setup. It's like Jorah checking for the grayscale on his arm. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the king's prize. There's like 90 things I want to talk about that we didn't talk about. Really? Like Alisane Mormont, who says her children were fathered by a bear. Alisane Mormont, one of those fantasy names, like you said before, right? She's a she <laughs> <Yeah>. bear. <laughs> <laughs> 
What about Asha asking Stannis about Robert, or at least bringing up Robert in his presence? That was apparently yes. something he, she should not do. I feel like that was obvious, but it was pretty well articulated in this chapter, just in case we forgot. Yeah, own to Robert Baratheon for being the shadow over Stannis. It takes fire to cast a shadow, you know. Mm. Um, I'm going to give my own to Big Bucket Wool for his, <laughs> <laughs> for his words Sorry. of wisdom throughout this chapter. And particularly for this line, later when Sir Corliss Penny wondered aloud whether an entire army had ever frozen to death, that's what the kind of chapter this was, in a winter storm, the wolves laughed. This is no winter, declared Big, Big Bucket Wool. Up in the hills, we say the, uh, let's, let's slow down, guys. This is no winter, declared Big Bucket Wool. Up in the hills, we say that autumn kisses you, but winter fucks you hard. This is only autumn's kiss. And Asha says, God grant that I never know true winter then. What's his name again? Big Bucket Wool. (laughs) Big Bucket Wool. You know. I like that's so funny. That name is so funny. Yeah, it's a ridiculous name. He would say that. Uh huh. I mean, it's true. That's why Stannis isn't burning anyone yet. I mean, I know it sucks now, but it's going to get so much worse, guys. It's like that kid that would always wear shorts in the winter. Everybody knows one. Lord Peapod, if you were a man, I would kill you for that, but my sword is made of too fine a steel to be smirched with Craven's blood. He took a drink of ale and wiped his mouth. Aye. Men are dying. More will die before we see Winterfell. What of it? This is war. Men die in war. That is as it should be and has always been. I mean, greater truths. Keeping it all in perspective. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. Clan Chief, Big Bucket, own. Um, I'm going to give my own to... Middle I'm gonna give Little. my own. <laughs> to what? Middle Little. How did you know? It's that guy who apologized to Asha for calling her... What did he call her? He called her cunt? He's like, I didn't mean to say that. And when we were fighting each other... Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. such a nice thing to do. I mean, I guess... I mean, yeah, it was nice for him to apologize. After the fact, he was like, we were in the middle of a fight. I'm sorry about that. I got riled up. I got riled up. I didn't mean to do that. Um, My own is going to go to Asha slash Stannis when she thinks to herself. She's like thinking about how she's going to go talk to him about her value and like what she can bring to the table. And she says, but there's no explaining such things to Stannis Baratheon. Her very womanhood seemed to offend him. Yeah, he leaned into that really hard. Yeah, he's like, it's like the Southern King seemed to be one of those men whom to whom women were another race, as strange and unfathomable <laughs> as giants and grumpkins and other children of the forest. <laughs> yeah, I think you've like, got Stannis figured out, but he really likes you know, know. Melisandre. It's she's yeah. very comforting to him. <laughs> it's such a great read on him. You're just going to need to get like 300 years more of life to get a better read on Stannis and know how to handle that situation because you were walking into a minefield. Yeah. I like so how to that. Massey came in. Good own. I like how he came in. Like he swooped in right after Stannis turns away. Like, ah, you had your time. Justin. Classic Justin. Classic Justin. All right. Now that we've done our owns, you know what time it is. It's time to read some of your owns. I think you should do the honors on this first one. Okay, I'm going to read. Our first own is from Jerry from Mayo, which is a delicious sauce. Own for the turncloak to Lady Barbie Dustin, a plain-speaking North woman. She's not afraid to call a spade a spade or a bastard a bastard. Sounds like she's had to contend with a fair few bastards in her time. 
if she had a sword, it would probably be called hashtag Bastard's Bane. Not a terrible name for a sword. That is canon. The King's Prize owned to Big Bucket Wool, as well as having an awesome name, he delivers great lines. If you'll indulge me, these three following quotes attest to his greatness. The first one is that this is no winner line, which I picked. The second quote is Ned's girl echoed Big Bucket Wool. And we should have had her and the castle both if you prancing Southern jackanapes didn't piss your satin breeches at a little snow. The third quote. It was worth it. <laughs> it was worth it. This will be my last winter. Let me bathe in Bolton blood before I die. I want to feel it spatter across my face when my axe bites deep into Bolton's skull. I want to lick it off my lips and die with the taste of it on my tongue. I hope I wasn't too late with these. You weren't late. Thanks, Jerry. Never late. Love when you write in. Those are some awesome owns. Thank you. Those are great. Thank you. I love that word, <sighs> jackanape. I know. I'm about to it's read it again. Just, it's just so like, F you, you jackanape. Am I allowed to say that word? I think so. It's not. <laughs> yeah, you can say that. You can say it. You would tell me if it was real. Nope. No, I, I would. I would yeah, say you it. Would. You would. <sighs> I know you would. You'd, you would say you wouldn't, but just you would. Just read <laughs> I can't laugh. I have to pee so badly. Okay. <laughs> At Jenny Snow AK on Twitter, Jen Snow says, The Northman owned the King's Prize chapter. The Northmen own the King's Prize chapter. Their devotion to the Starks with the need to rescue Ned's girl is great. And how Morgan shoots down those southern jackanates with his little speech. Yeah. Hashtag Northern Burn. Hashtag the North remembers. Own for the turncloak is everything Lady Dustin talks about in the crypts and the lady herself. She's chilling. She's she, such an exciting history lesson of Brandon Stark. Hashtag a bloody sword is a beautiful thing. At Beauty Brienne writes, Lady Dustin's master level grudge holding and Stannis's, oh, let's call it determination. Get my owns. Determination. LOL. Well said. Russell P. At Focused One Nine says... I had gum graft surgery in October. I hope you're doing better. That Same. sounds awful. So for the turn cloak, a huge own goes to the fact that Theon went through the, his sadistic torture without any painkiller. Yeah. Ramsey hated my smile, so he took a hammer to my teeth. Page <sighs> 593. The show showed a lot, but not everything. And Theon holds on. That's, Ugh. yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I hope you're doing better, Russell. I'm stressed for you. Please let us know. Get well, Russell. Send us pictures of your gums. And <laughs> 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 our final own is from our friend Emmett, who I love and miss very much. On Twitter, he wrote, I want to live forever in a land where summer lasts a thousand years. I want a castle in the clouds where I can look down over the world. I want to be six and 20 again. When I was six and 20, I could fight all day and fuck all night. What men want does not matter. It's not a bad life, honestly. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> what men want does not matter. That is the king's prize in a nutshell, right? Keep going. Mm -hmm. You just have to keep going. You have to, this is the only thing you can do. You can keep going or you could fight each other. You could try to escape or you could be like one of those men in Stannis' army that stepped off the side of the road and just sat down and died that was so dark this is it if you'd like to send us your owns <laughs> please write to us on twitter we would love to hear Game from of you owns, or you could write to us 
via email, contact at gameofowns.com. Or you can follow us on Instagram. That's right, Instagram. You can't follow us on Tumblr anymore, though, because they blocked adult content. R.I.P. to Tumblr. Tumblr was already going down the drain, and then they just hit the nail on the coffin. There's a new song of Ice and Fire book, if you haven't heard. George R. R. Martin wrote a book. No big deal. No big deal. We can't read any new George R. R. Martin content until we finish A Feast with Dragons. No, not until we put it together with the World of Ice and Fire and make a reading order official. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's the plan. Oh, I we've should got, not laugh at that. That's hilarious. <laughs> we've got to wait. A, a wait. If you're not getting enough Game of Owns, we also have Rewatch the Throne on Stitcher Premium. We're about to finish season five. We are about <laughs> oh. to finish season five. It's oh, been man. a wild ride. It has been a wild ride. Can't wait to wrap it up. That's going to be fun. This has been a really that was a, a crazy stretch of episodes as far as how we talk about the show. We truly went through it, but we got we got to put um, hard home up here. So hopefully you that's guys true. Liked it. Yeah, I hope you guys like that. We had a lot episode. of fun. Recording hard home it. was really fun. Before we go, though, we have a very exciting announcement. Something that we've been working on for a really long time, and something that I'm personally thrilled about. The podcast finally has T-shirts. Yeah. Yay. Yay. I thought you were going to make a joke there, so I was prepared for it to not be real. No. But that is not a joke. No. This is real. Just in time for the holiday season. Just in time for us to really get amped for the last season. 2K19. 2K19. We have two different T-shirts available. We're going to have them online probably by the time you're listening to this. At some point this week, for sure, probably at gameofowns.com slash shirts. We have two designs. One is a drawing from a friend of ours, Riley, who is an exceptional illustrator. And we thought, hey, this would be the perfect like first t-shirt design. Yeah. Hey, Riley, draw something for us for once. It's awesome. Well, both of these ideas, so we've been toying around with lots of ideas for a really long time, like months. The first design is... A drawing of three dragons and six dire wolves. I think you know who they are. And the second design is a, a Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones, sort of hybrid wink toward other fans. The slash... shirt says 2K19. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I feel like, it's hilarious. And it's something, I mean, it's been a joke with us for a while. And it's like a subtle... People will know if they know. It's you know, got when ice and fire colors, and it's got the little Game of Thrones thing in the nine. I think that it's going to be a fun thing to wear if you're a fan of either the books or the TV show, and you like the podcast. So we hope you love it. You guys can buy shirts. You can tweet us pictures of you wearing them. We would love to see them out in the wild. We're super excited about it, so hopefully you guys are too. Yeah, that would be really cool. I think that's it, right? I think that's it. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back very soon. I think we're going to make a new episode like next week or something because. On that holiday grind. On that holiday grind. Next up, we have Brienne 8 and Cersei 10. Best friends. These are the last. There's We have four chapters left in A Feast for Crows, and this is two of them. You can check out our reading order at afeastwithdragons.com if you want to play catch up or if you want to check out what we're reading next. And we'll be back very, very soon. Thank you for listening, everyone.